great to see so many faces. It's great to see everybody online. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity. I want to start with uh, a verse that everybody is quite familiar with. In fact, I probably, right next to high mom and defense, it's the most common sign you'll see at a football game. And of course, I'm talking about John 3:16 through 18. And it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, he who, do not, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. That's what it says. But is that what we believe? I titled today's message, Yes, Even Them. Do we truly believe that the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone? Everyone. That's what we say as Christians, but history would say otherwise. The history of religion is full of judgment and exclusivism. The now that I have arrived group. I have the answer. I have the one true way to know God. And we've seen it for millennium. Our Christian tradition has unfortunately been filled with this attitude with disastrous consequences. The holy crusades of the 11th through 13th century saw the death of millions of Jews, Muslims, and Christians in the name of defending the Holy Land from the infidels. The Papal Inquisition of the 12th through 15th centuries, known as the Spanish Inquisition, persecuted hundreds of thousands of heretics because they disagreed with Catholic doctrine. The Thirty Years' War was fought between Lutherans and Catholics and resulted in the death of somewhere between four and a half and eight million people. It caused untold suffering, particularly in Germany. And the list goes on. Our own brethren history is full of martyrs that died for their beliefs. Unfortunately, one of the few things that Presbyterians, Lutherans, and Catholics agreed on during the 14th through 1700s was the drowning of Anabaptists. The book, Martyr's Mirror, which is also called The Bloody uh, Theater, was first published in Holland in 1660 in Dutch by Thielman van Brock, and it documents the story of Christian persecution for 1600 years something that, unfortunately, our Christian history, we have been very, very good at. And unfortunately, we're seeing that today. We have to remember that Islam is about 600 years 
behind Christianity. When Ubil Akasim, who later became known as Muhammad, started Islam after a series of dreams he had while meditating in a cave. And he took those things that he, that he came up with and he started Islam and he went to Mecca and they didn't accept him. So he left and went and got an army and brought it back and now everybody believes. Um, and the history of Islam was one of conquest, believe or die, your choice. And unfortunately, when Muhammad died, he didn't tell anybody who was in charge next. And so they've been busy killing each other off while they argue who should be in charge. Sufis, Shiites, um, um, Sunnis. Again, this war we see right now in the Middle East is because we have a group of folks that don't happen to agree with the flavor of each other's belief, even though they claim to know the same God. Categorically, religion has been the worst thing for Christianity. Religion is not the message of Christianity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When someone asks me if I'm religious, I say, no, I'm a Christian. Because I don't want to be attached to that history of persecution. So where does that bring us today? Well, it brings us to the book of Jonah. And you might ask, well, why are we studying the book of Jonah? It's just a little bitty book. But to me, I find that the book of Jonah is one of the most fascinating books in all of Scripture. Why? Because I would argue it reflects mankind. It reflects mankind across history, our challenges, but hopefully not our future. So I wanted to have some important background so we understand where this situation occurred and how it fits in with things. And so first of all, Jonah, son of Amittah, which means son of faithfulness, um, is mentioned in two books. Right? We see him in 2 Kings 14, uh, verses 25 through 28, and of course in the book of Jonah. Um, and his name is the son of faithfulness. Uh, clearly not faithfulness on his own. Um, yes. <laughs> he wasn't. Uh... Now, we don't know the exact dates of his birth and death, but we can kind of estimate from the things that are going on. We know that the reference in Second Kings puts Jonah as a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam, who was king of Israel for 41 years between 781 and 746. Um, and we know that the capital of Assyria was Nineveh from 705 to 612. So that tells us that Jonah was probably about 60 years old or so when he got the command to go and uh, be a missionary to the Ninevites. I'm 62. Yeah, it would be less than exciting to say, here's where you're headed. So let's have a, do you have a picture of the two kingdoms? All right, so my kids are wondering why I took the cat toy to church. Um, <laughs> so, so you see here we have the two kingdoms, right? So there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Up here in the northern kingdom, which is referred to in scripture as Israel. 
And it was confusing for the longest time for me because I thought, isn't Israel everybody? No. Israel is everybody except Judah and Benjamin. Right? So that's what we refer to as the northern kingdom. And there you can see Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. Down here we have Judah, of which the capital is Jerusalem. And so in Scripture they refer to the southern kingdom as Judah. So you have Israel and Judah. Now, so the northern kingdom is the ten tribes that aren't Judah and Benjamin. Um, it gets established at about 925 or 922 BCE. So if you remember the story, um, there's David, there's Solomon, um, and then there's Rehoboam. And, and Rehoboam, the, the northern kingdom or the northern tribes asked him to reduce the taxes that Solomon has placed on them. And so he goes to his prophets, he says, what should I do? And they say, you're right, you should lower the taxes. But then he goes to his friends and he says, what should I do? He goes, no, increase the taxes, really make it miserable for him. And so what does he do? He listens to his friends and not his prophets, which seems to be a popular trend. And um, the uh, Jeroboam and the northern tribes separate, and that's where we get these two kingdoms, uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, and, of course, the southern kingdom is ruled by that Davidic dynasty where they go through. Now, the thing that, and this is really important, again, there's not the history test later, but there is, the thing that's important about this is neither kingdom does a very good job following God. Right? Understand that these are the chosen people. They've been placed on earth so that the world can understand the one true God. They could see by their obedience and faith the benefits and the blessings that believing in the one true God would bring. But they're not very good at it. Um, in the northern kingdom, every single king was evil, 19 of them through eight different dynasties. The other part that's really interesting about the northern kingdom, the way they typically changed family trees that were in charge was assassination. Not a very popular way to go. Now, remember the Assyrians are ruthless and cruel people. And we know that not just from the words in Scripture, but from pictures they've drawn and, and other historical documents. They were not very nice people. And they, of course, take over the northern kingdom. They, they, they um, uh, take over Samaria, um, and the Jews are gets exiled to Assyria, the northern kingdom. Um, and they get there because they're disobedient. And, and the prophets of the uh, northern kingdom tell them, hey, if you don't start following along what God says, you're going to get punished. God is promising to take care of your disobedience. And that's what happens. They're disobedient, they ignore the prophets, and they end up in exile uh, in Assyria. Now, the southern kingdom doesn't do a whole lot better. They've got 20 kings, eight of which follow God, right? So they've got some of the same problems. And Manasseh, who follows Hezekiah, is like one of the most wicked kings of all of Scripture, um, and he's also the longest king. And you would think that the Jews of the southern kingdom would have learned something because their prophets are doing the same thing. They're saying, hey, if you guys don't turn around, you're going to have the same consequences that the northern guys had. And of course, they don't change their behavior, and this time they get exiled by the Babylonians. 
150 years after the northern kingdom gets exiled to Assyria, the southern kingdom gets exiled to Babylon. They don't learn very quick. Now, it's interesting, the northern kingdom is known as the ten lost tribes of Israel because they never get to go back as a group. The southern kingdom, as we know, gets to return when um, Cyrus of Persia lets them go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So they at least get to return, but the northern kingdom basically gets obliterated. So, what does that bring us today, right? So we have Jonah, who's of the northern kingdom, who has been told he needs to go to Nineveh, those nasty Assyrians, and preach the word, be a missionary to God. And Jonah is thinking, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, we're the chosen people. We're the ones that have earned the right to know God. I'm not going. Can I get a picture of Jonah's town? So this is where Jonah's from, right here. Right? So you saw them from before. So this is up in the top of the, of the northern kingdom. That's where he's at. So he gets this command, and he says, Hey, I want you to be a missionary to the people of Nineveh. Of Nineveh. Now, you have to love the irony of that all. Right? Jonah is going to be a missionary to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, who is currently exiled the northern kingdom. Now, you had thought that Jonah, a prophet, would have been able to reach his own people. But that's not where he's sent. He's sent to Nineveh, the very people that have exiled his people. So you've got to understand why Jonah is not happy. He's being told by God to go to this pagan city and encourage them to repent and find the one true God, something that his own folks couldn't do. So Jonah has a different plan. Because we have Jonah's alternate plan up. So here is Nineveh. Right about there is where he's from. And he's told, go to Nineveh. So, of course, Jonah says, no, I think I'll go to Joppa on my way to Tarshish. Yeah, run away. And you can see there's quite a distance there between where he was supposed to go. So God said, go up and north, or go up and, and um, right, and he went down and left. Literally left. Um, and somewhere about in here, he met up with a big fish um, and a ship and some other things that happened, and he gets a change in attitude. Um, and it's interesting, I have people say, me, there is no way a fish could hold a man for three days alive. Uh, God made the fish. God can make the fish any way he wants. We don't know what it looks like. Could have been an RV inside. The bottom line, it was a fish that sustained him for three days. That's all we know. And at some point, he got spit out on the shore. Right? All right. So anyway, God's sovereignty won, and Jonah ended up going to Nineveh. And he shares the truth with the Ninevites. um, And we criticize Jonah for not wanting to go. And... We have to look at that from two perspectives, right? First of all, we know it was dangerous for a Jew in Nineveh, right? We know the Assyrians are cruel and all that sort of stuff, and eh, I don't really want to go to Nineveh. Now, if God, right now I'm looking at an opportunity to go with Billy Graham's group as a chaplain up to Northern California uh, to be with the folks that were there at the Dixie Fire. And I think, God, 
You want me to go to Northern California and share your word with all the people in the, from the Dixie Fire? I'm all in. I'm ready to go. But what if God said, no, Eric, um, I want you to go to Afghanistan and share it with ISIS. Ah, not so excited. Uh, there's probably some place in between we can work this out, right? So, okay, we can understand that Jonah was not particularly excited about going to Nineveh, right? But secondly, the Assyrians were pagans. They were not the chosen people of God. What right do they have to get to know the one true God, given what they have done to the people of the one true God? Jonah misses the big picture. The the chosen people of God chose to disobey God, and God took the Assyrians to discipline them. And Jonah's like, I'm not going up there. You see what they did to us? Yeah, I told them to. (laughs) So, anyway, Jonah finally says, okay, I'm going to go. Now, Jonah's really struggled with going to the pagans in Nineveh. But God is saying, yes, even them. Do I have to break my word to those people? And God is saying, yes, even them. So today's passage, we're going to go back a little bit to last week. Recall that Jonah delivered the message to the Nineveh, and they repented. Eight short words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah begins to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So Jonah finally does what God tells him to do. And he shares the words that God commanded him to share. And then the unthinkable happens. At least the unthinkable to Jonah. They repent. (laughs) Jonah is not happy. Due to the genuineness of Nineveh's repentance, God relents. God says, okay, I won't destroy you. Jonah is mad. We read in Jonah 3.10, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which, had, which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now again, we would have thought that Jonah would be overjoyed. Here's these cruel people of Assyria who now know the one true God and they repent and they don't get destroyed. Jonah should be happy. He's like one of the most successful prophets out there, right? I mean, first he reached the sailors on the ship. Remember, they're all praying to their own gods, and he's down in the hold sleeping. He has a way of just trying to avoid things, you know? I mean, there's this big storm. He's sleeping down in the hold. And they wake him up, and they say, hey, go get your god gone, because our god doesn't seem to be working. And so Jonah does, and find out what he's got to do. Well, you're going to have to throw me in the ocean. And so they throw the ocean, and boom, everything calms down. And the sailors go, hey, that God, that's the one true God. Look, he made the ocean stop, and they worshiped God, the one true God. But then he goes to Nineveh, and the same thing happens. 
He shares the truth of the one true God and 120,000 plus Ninevites repent and get to know the one true God. And again, you would think, what a ministry. Right? I mean, it's the Billy Graham of the 700 BCs. But no, he is not happy. In fact, Jonah 4.1 says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Jonah became angry? Why? And, and you can see this picture, right? Because later on we read that Jonah sits down and starts to watch the city. He's like, this should be good. God's going to smite these little guys and they're going to really appreciate what it is to know the anger and power of God. And it's interesting that in the, in the, in the words that Jonah shares with the Ninevites, he says, in 40 days, right? Well, 40 days is a popular number when it comes to repentance and, and time-tested, right? Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. 40 days is kind of a special time. So Jonah is going to sit up on the mountain, and he's waiting to watch it happen. Um, I kind of think it's like you, have, you go to the fireworks show, and you're all sitting on your blankets, and you're waiting for the fireworks. You're waiting for things to get really interesting. And Jonah's thinking, what's it going to be? Earthquake, descending army, maybe fire and brimstone. Can't wait to see what happens. And then nothing. Nothing happens. God relents. And the people of Nineveh do what God commands. And he doesn't destroy Nineveh. And Jonah is angry. So Jonah feels that God is soft on sin and weak on justice, right? The Ninevehs deserved it. They had it coming. But Jonah had forgotten that God was about love and forgiveness. Yes, he has justice, but he's love and forgiveness first. And we have to remember that God is a God of forgiveness, of mercy, of love. We read in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 to 9, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, we may believe in theory that God wants all to come to forgiveness, but in reality, do we practice that? Do we look at some people and say, yeah, not them? Even though God is telling us in spirit and in truth of the word, yes, even then. So why did Jonah finally go to Nineveh? Did he finally realize that God was right and that he needed to share the truth with the Ninevites? No, he realized God was sovereign and that fighting God was pointless. You know, what's the uh, term, you know... Um, Resistance is futile. <laughs> you're going 
you're going to do it God's way or you're going to do it God's way. Pick one. Um, But he wasn't committed to the mission. He didn't have the love for the Ninevites that God had. He felt that the evildoers of Nineveh deserved to be punished, not forgiven. And I think that that's one of the things that we struggle with. We see people and we think, but do you know what he did? As you know, Don and I did foster care for nine years. And we met parents that we know what they did to their children. And my feelings were not good. Fortunately, my actions were. That's what I love about the agape as a verb shirt, because that's what it's about. It's how you act. God takes care of the feelings if you act right. And I may not like what that person has done, but I'm commanded by God to love that person and share with him the truth. Even if you say, I don't want to talk to those people, God says, yes, even them. So Jonah, the son of faithfulness, fully committed to his own fundamental belief that the Ninevites deserve to be punished, stared profoundly at his, uh, shared, uh, stared at his profoundly held beliefs lying shattered at his feet, and he is angry. I don't think we ever know that Jonah ever got it. You know, when you read through the book of Jonah, you think to yourself, did Jonah ever get it? You know, you think of all the prophets, you know, and and there's a lot of them, you know, you read through, especially like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Hosea, Isaiah, Elijah, all those they had it. They got it. They understood. Even and, and they they weren't all perfect. Yeah, I mean we know like Elijah ran away. You know oh, I'm gonna get away from Jezebel. God's God. I got this. Let's, let's get some crows to feed you and you'll go back. And, but they all got it. But Jonah seems like he never got it. We read in Jonah four verses two to three. He prayed to the Lord and said, "Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country?" Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah recognizes who God is. He recognizes the very nature of God and rejects it. And he's saying he would rather die than have to sit there and recognize that God was a loving God and saved, relented against the people of Nineveh. Jonah had a partial but definitely imperfect understanding of God. He believed that only sinless perfection was correct and anything else was to be judged, at least for everybody but his own group. And as much as we are unable to forgive, 
We're in the same boat as Jonah. Doesn't matter whether it's personal or national. If we refuse to forgive, we're in the same boat as Jonah. Refusing to forgive is saying no to a new creation. Denying an opportunity to share with someone what we know and the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ teaches us that those who have been forgiven must be able to forgive. The cross of Christ teaches many other things. Among them is the truth that human beings, even religious human beings, prefer their own way to God. That preference led to the crucifixion of Christ. Recall the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the law, and this people's prophet was a threat to their system. And they had Jesus Christ executed in one of the ugliest forms of death known to man at the time. And God gave them the ability to kill his own son. Instead of blasting sinful, selfish mankind with the full force of his righteous anger, which God had every right to do, he didn't. He handed over his son to be crucified. Jonah hates that. And Jonah would rather die than celebrate the salvation of the Ninevites. Rosemary Dixon wrote, The foundation of human righteousness is not sinless perfection, genealogical descendancy, or a treasure trove of works, but a self-awareness of our solidarity in human sin and dependency on God's forgiving grace. So Jonah was angry. But we all have our Nineveh. Family members that we don't want to talk to, yeah, even them. That contentious neighbor across the street, oh, the stuff he's done. God says, Yeah, even them. That guy at work that always seems to find a way to tick you off. God says, yeah, even them. But God, that's a dangerous part of town. Yeah, even them. God, this nation is lost. They have no idea where they're going. Have you seen the things they do? Yeah, even them. Our responsibility is to share the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ with no bounds. We must, in all humility and thankfulness, realize that the wonderful gift of salvation was strictly based on our Father's love for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We certainly cannot gloat over it. I close with Luke 15.10. In the same way, I tell you, there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over 
everyone sinner who repents. Everyone. All. Brothers and sisters, we should share the joy we have in Jesus Christ with everyone. Withhold judgment. Judgment doesn't belong to us. Lord, we just thank you that you are a loving God, slow to anger, abundant in grace and mercy. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength the wisdom, the discernment to see our own obstacles, to see those logs in our eyes that prevent us from sharing the good news with everyone. And I do mean everyone. Those people that annoy us, those people that seem to be bent in a way we just can't stand, people that don't get it, all of them, Lord. I look at the time we live in today, and there are so many people that need you. So, Lord, I just pray for opportunity and willingness on the part of the Christian body in the United States and the world to introduce you to all of them. Amen.